Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and another Oscar race checkpoint, as the intro song told you. It's our mid-year Oscars report. It's August, so <laughs> that's the middle of the year, right? Well, it is for this year, at least what film year 2020 and awards year 2020 is shaping up to be. I am your co-host, Mike One. I'm going to tell you that we have a special guest joining us for the mid-year Oscars report. He previewed Best Picture as a featured guest for us this past award season during our Category Overview pod series. Uh, we have Eric Weber from AwardsAce.com. He's back with us today, and also Mike here is going to tell you more about Eric. Yeah, he's an ideal guest for a special episode like this because he, he's a radio guy, number one. He can roll with all our wacky segments where we're trying to jam-pack so much stuff into a one-hour show. And uh, I, I love this episode. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Make sure you hit up awardsace.com. I think we're going to sell the hell out of that site today for good reason. Uh, we're all over his big board uh, in our final segment and, and really in our first segment as well. Uh, as he points out, his fave section is involved. I mean, he's got this simple website that really plays well, makes for a good experience. In the monstrous middle of this episode, though, you know, we highlight the insider that Eric Weber is because we like put his feet to the fire asking him the most burning questions we could think of because it's the elephant in the room. Like I'm going to say the COVID stuff has to be reckoned with and, and he handles himself beautifully. Yeah, it's infuriating how good he is at this and how easy he makes uh, both his delivery and our job on the other end. The guy can answer any question we throw at him. We are going to have all of Eric's socials at the end of this episode, so be sure to stay tuned to the outro for that as well. But in the meantime, this is the MMO Mid-Year's Oscars Report featuring Eric Weber of AwardsAce.com. Check it out and enjoy, guys, and we will see you on the other side. All right, on the line right now, we have Eric Weber from AwardsAce.com, our good friend here. Eric, thanks for doing this again with us. How you doing, buddy? You got it, guys. It's been a few months, and the world is a much different place than it was when we last talked, huh? <laughs> That's for that sure. That it is. That it is. Uh, we got to start with, like, quarantine movies, as you put it in the pre-show. And we're going to go through, you know, some of the bigger names one by one. But overall... How do you think the film industry has done during this pandemic in terms of getting movies to the viewing public at home? Are you pleasantly surprised at what you've gotten or are you completely starved for better movies at this point? How about somewhere in the middle? I think <laughs> I think that's where we're at, right? For every, you know, really great film, and I've only seen a few, there's 10 to 15 to 20 that are just average or less. So, uh, you know, the studios are, are smart in that they still know that theatrical is the way forward. At least that's what their hope is um, to get that theatrical revenue, then put it out on VOD and, you know, traditional the way that we've been doing it for the past forever. But, you know, they're they're starting to see. Let's try like, you know, Bill and Ted's a good example comes out here, I think, next week. Let's push that one uh, to VOD where we were going to do theatrical. Those movies that are right on the border mm -hmm. that you're starting to see more of those go PVOD, that premium um, video on demand. So 
you know, it's for them. It's it's just as much of a, a cluster as as it is for us. We, we they don't know what the next thing is, but I think right now all signs are pointing you know up. You know, stock is rising in theatrical with theaters just about to reopen everywhere but here in california and new york <laughs> and who needs those cities for the entertainment industry you know anyway it's over right now uh so it is i mean you've hinted at it we all know it. we're all living through it it's a uh i guess unique is one word you can use to describe this type of movie year in this award season so mm-hmm. uh to, to set the table here we're kind of going to do kind of a fast moving segment to open up we're going to ask for your takes on whether or not these films uh, are Oscar contenders or Oscar pretenders? Can these films go the distance? Are they paper kings? Are they paper tigers? Do they not stand a chance at all? So we're just going to do a little bit of a kind of a rapid fire thing. And I guess we could start with what was arguably maybe the first big movie that was released mid-pandemic anyway, when everyone was stuck in quarantine, that being Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Is this a contender or pretender and where and why? For me, absolute pretender. I mean, from the moment I saw it, it wow. it's not an awards film. It's uh, and I love Black Klansman. It was arguably my number one film of that year. You know, if I was going through the films that were eligible for Best Picture, if I was to slot them one through, you know, eight that year, I would have put it number one. I mean, on my ballot. Uh, <laughs> but so so that's how that's how much I enjoyed Black Klansman. Conversely, I really had a tough time with The Five Bloods. It's just too there's too much stuff that spike lee tried to do you know heist film and and social commentary and all these things that that just didn't meld you know the way that they should have and and delroy lindo's the best shot that that film has for for getting nominations and or winning do i think he wins no but a nomination i would say is is the safest bet for anything from that film the five bloods it's it's lindo and it was a surprise, the critical reception of that film when it came out, just uh, through the roof. And, and yeah, we agree with you. We're, we're in the minority on that. Yeah. I, I gave it like a B minus. I wasn't all that high on it. But, look, now you have to settle a, an argument between Mike and I because we are both very high on this next movie, but we're kind of pinching ourselves. We don't think it's going to contend. It shouldn't contend. That's Judd Apatow and Pete Davidson's The King of Staten Island. Could it actually make some noise? I, you know, when I when I sat that sat down and watched the screener, I'm like, okay, the King of Staten Island. I really didn't want to. I was like, you know, I'm not a huge Pete Davidson fan. I don't watch a lot of SNL. I'm really not familiar with him, but just seeing his, you know, life and real life and you know all the craziness and all that, I just I don't know if I want to see this film. And then I put it in, and I'm like, wait a second, this movie is super charming, super lived in, right? It feels real, it feels authentic, and Davidson mm. especially, he is you know, just fantastic in this film and Burr is as well. And Tomei and uh, it is, it's something that I think universal didn't expect to possibly be an awards film. You know, when they put this thing out, they're just like, yeah, let's just get rid of this. And it's, it's early in the quarantine and it's a perfect quarantine film. And then all of a sudden the reception, like you, like me, this is a really strong film. Yes. And Pete Davidson could be, I think Globes for sure. You know, when you're talking about best actor mm-hmm. in a comedy, Pete Davidson should be very much considered for that category. Are you one of the uh, the people with regards to that movie that that's holding the uh, the torch for Bill Burr? I've seen a lot of momentum on film Twitter about him at least being considered in the supporting category. Uh, do you feel that way, or do you feel he's he's just going to be someone that was a nice surprise but doesn't make it all the way to award season? 
I think that he's deserving. It's early. You know, that's the thing when we, as we continue to discuss all these films and it's so, man, we're so far away, right? Yeah. Because of the extension of the date, because of the, you know, pushback and the postponement of the Oscars, it's going to look a lot different here in just a few months, you know, week to week it changes, but he is worthy. And I think the same with Pete Davidson, Tomei, maybe a little less so because she's been there so much, even though she's fantastic in the film, you know, let's face it. We, we like to see new faces and Burr is, is a new face. Obviously Davidson is a completely unexpected face. So when you get those people in the mix, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. And, and it's a kind of, kind of performance that I would like to vote for because we, we need to start thinking outside the box and, and, and we'll talk about that as we continue as well, because that's one of the missions that, that I really want to push now is, is getting these performances that people don't really think about as being an Oscar performance, get them some traction in award season. And maybe it's the perfect year for that, considering how little uh, mm-hmm. outside the box this entire year is going to be. And speaking of outside the box in terms of what is considered maybe historically a quote-unquote normal awards film, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. It was a very intense film. It dropped early in the year. Eliza Hitman and Focus Features were behind this. Uh, what did you think of that, contender or pretender there? Direction is uh, on point. I mean, it's one of the best directed films I've seen this year. The look of the film, the the, the physical look of that you know, kind of grimy, but the lens, it's just the cinematography and the way that they shot that film. Um, it, it just looks good. And, and any time that a film looks like that, and there's another film we're going to talk about later that is very much like that. It's not out yet. And I know you want to discuss that film, but we'll get to it. But uh, this, this is just like that. When I put it on, I watched the screener late. You know, I didn't get to it on the first round. I got to it, a, you know, at least a month and a half after it opened. And I'd heard all these great things. Um, it's it's very much an art house film, right? It's 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 not easy to get your hands wrap your arms around it as far as um, you know the average person who is going to sit down and watch a film. It's not an easy watch, as we say. But uh, the the artistry of that film is fantastic. And Sydney Flanagan, uh, how good is she? I mean, she is oh, she is uh, yeah she for and I didn't know that was her first role. That's the thing that also yeah. blows you away. You go, wait a second. That was the first time that she has acted in a feature. That is impressive. And I think Hitman, the same thing. You're looking at a future, you know, superstar director just based on that, on what I saw. I wish I didn't have to say this, but I do think one of the silver linings of the quarantine is that we've gotten a lot of excellent films from female filmmakers. Another one of those comes from Josephine Decker. She does the Shirley Jackson adaptation of of that book from, uh, well, anyway, it's an adapted screenplay. Shirley, with that Elizabeth Moss performance, what do you think? Does it have legs? Let me just quickly touch on what you said about the female directors. Now, when I, what's interesting is when I watch a film, I try to know as little as possible about it, right? I think Mm. that's the best way to go in. I don't want to know um who directed it i don't want to know you know i don't really want to watch a trailer because it's going to give away too much all these little things so so you know for me i've never watched a film and and you know given it a few extra points or a little bit push it up the scale because it's a female director because it's anything else it's the film it was the film right but that said this has been a fantastic year for female directors, as yeah. you mentioned, including, um, you know, Shirley. I think Elizabeth Moss is stronger than the film. I like Shirley a lot, 
but she's mm. very, very good in this. And if the thing that the thing to mention here is that if Elizabeth Moss is going to get awards traction, I hope to God it's for Shirley, um, or for Next Goal wins than for the Invisible Man. Uh, because Same that, here. You, you listen, the Invisible Man is not. I, I I could go on for hours about how that is such <laughs> uh, one of the most overrated films of all time. Oh, in my preach, estimation. preach! It is. I mean, I laughed. I laughed out loud. Like the restaurant scene, you know, when the the whole thing's going on. Like I saw that really early, and I go. And there was all this buzz from the Invisible Man. It's all. Oh, it's such a fantastic movie. You have to see this thing. And, and then I sat down. Like, wow, this. What were you guys watching? Um, <laughs> so, so, this is not a great film. And if that's the thing that I laugh at is when people talk about the Invisible Man being an awards film. It's like, no, it's not. It's not even close. Either is Birds of Prey. That is, those, neither of those films are awards films. Period. There's not even any debate about it. And and so I hope surely. Um, in a just world is where Elizabeth Moss gets the attention, not the invisible man. See, this is why we're kindred spirits, Eric, because oftentimes when Mike and I are in the minority, uh, we find ourselves aligning with you. So that's why we're, we're so friendly with you. Like, yes, we're not alone in this world. Yeah. I don't know if we subconsciously pick these films because we kind of align (laughs) or if we're your lackeys forever now, I think, you know what you, you, you are. And I hope that I am is that you don't, uh, bow to the crowd. Okay, you don't ever want to bow to the crowd when they when everyone yeah. says something's great. If it is great, that's fantastic. Right. Oh man, go with them. But if it's not, don't be afraid. And Defy Bloods is a great example because everyone when I when I posted my review it was the day that the the uh, embargo lifted. And they're like, okay, Defy Blood reviews. And I woke up a little bit late. The East Coast Tea Party posted. I'm like, okay, let's see what these reviews are like. We're looking at middling, you know, C, C plus, B minus, and everything was like, whoa, whoa, almost near masterpiece. And I'm, what? What? Yeah. You, what's? What is going on in this world? So I, I'm sitting there looking at my crafted tweet, saying it's just not, you know, not a fantastic film. And I debated whether to say, I go, am I wrong? I said, no, I'm not wrong. <laughs> Boom. And and that's the thing. You have to stick to your guns when you watch something and you don't believe that it's great, even if everybody else says it is the best thing ever. You have to just say, no, I, this is what I believe. And, and that's, you, that's good that you're, that you're strong like that because a lot of critics aren't. We, we definitely uh, we try. Like I said, we appreciate when people are willing to stick their necks out. And then you have been uh, certainly someone that we've at least noticed. I'm sure other people have, too. Uh, we, we can't thank you enough for speaking the truth That's about some of the stuff and not following the crowd yourself, because it helps people like Mike and I continue to do this as well. Let's talk yeah. for a second about going back to female filmmakers, somebody who had probably a, a big moment at last year's Gotham's Kelly Reichert's film first cow, mm-hmm. maybe the most incredibly niche film of the year. I mean, I don't know that we're going <laughs> to yeah. get a lot of cow centric pastry making films in our future, but is there any Oscars <laughs> legs or awards legs with this? Man, that movie takes forever to click in, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it's like, it's a good 45 minutes. And I saw the first screening of it in LA. So it, you know, they brought it, I think that was February. And they they had a little industry screening down on the Sunset Strip, uh, and the you know she was there, and Orion Lee was there, and I was sitting in the screening room. I'm like, okay, I'm my mind's wandering. This movie, I, I get it. Let's get this thing. And then when it clicks, you're like, wow, what a fantastic mm-hmm. film this is. And it, it is. It, it's I, I like Orion Lee of all the of all the things to come out of that film. I would say he's my supporting dark horse. You do I think he's going to get a nomination? No. But but if I were to again, if we're going to rank what I think comes out of there, 
that's the best choice if you're going to push one of those things, if A24 is going to do that. It's too small a film. Uh, it's going to be forgotten by the time we roll around to deadline. But it is a charming film, but it's not for everyone. And again, it takes forever to get to where you're really going to you know, get invested in it. Yeah, I think we see that one the mm-hmm. same way too. Unfortunately, I mean, maybe I should have brought Ad Astra up in this conversation <laughs> no, just to have a differentiation. No. Anyway, we could always no, we could I always tap into the movie. parasite well again if you guys want to relive the old times. <laughs> yeah, you, you're still out on an island there, Mike. I, know. I mean, that's you are I mean, absolutely on your own island. I know. I, although I understand it, but I understand. See, the thing is, I can get. If you're going to give me an argument, like I can get to how you don't like the ending, right? I'm going to be accepting of that argument. Um, mm-hmm. But if you, back to the Invisible Man, if you start saying that the Invisible Man is a masterpiece, I'm not going to buy any of it. Right. We're not even going to have this discussion. So, so I can I can appreciate you having issues with Parasite. I don't agree, but I appreciate them. And Lord knows the space needs more of that, right? I hear you out. I don't agree, but it's okay that you have that opinion as opposed to you Amen. saying, hey, you're yeah. wrong. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the worst part about film Twitter is when, when people just get nasty and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, listen, uh, you didn't make this movie, okay? <laughs> you, you didn't make it. I didn't make it. Why are you so defensive? These Some people take films as if they are theirs, right? They're a creation of themselves and like, okay, I get it. We're all fans. But at some point you have to distance yourself and say, this is not part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And the discussions we're having are not life-changing. And let's just all ease off a little bit and respect each other. Totally. And this next film kind of just works naturally on a transition here because this is one of the more polarizing filmmakers, you know, I've, I've studied in a while. Abel Ferreira. I feel like I know him now after spending so much time with Willem Dafoe, who's also <laughs> been in a bunch of, you know, Oscars movies that quite frankly, frankly, in my opinion, just weren't that good, even though he was nominated, but here he is in Tommaso. He's in Rome. He's doing yoga. He's yelling. What did you think of Dafoe? To, Defoe's fantastic. It's he's lights out. He's he's worthy of of a nomination, but it's never going to happen. The movie's too strange, too weird. Mm-hmm. It's it's just not. It, you talk about arms, you can get your arm. You know, films you can get your arms around. This is not one of those. And and it's a tiny film, right? I was it Kino Lorber. I can't remember the studio on that. Yeah, it's a re, it's a really small. You know, even sub. Once you start getting to the the studios below, let's say IFC, because IFC is about as low as you go when you talk about awards films. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean no no disrespect to IFC, because I think they've had they've had the best year of 2020. They're great, and, you know, yeah. With what they've had across the board and in the films that are coming. Uh, but but when you start talking about films that are so tiny, a, a movie like Tommaso has really no shot. Even though he is very good in a film that I didn't think was great because it's a little too bizarre. Is is Defoe just hunting for Oscars now? I mean, I mean, the last couple projects. I know he's done. He usually and routinely will do a couple niche projects a year throughout his career. But it's like <laughs> At Eternity's Gate, Florida Project is maybe the most mainstream of those. But obviously, mm-hmm. the Lighthouse was, even though it was a twenty four, still was incredibly niche. Is he just wanting the Oscars now? Is that what his main focus is at this point in his career? Well, he's clearly in the art, right? Like the Van Gogh movie. I mean, this is his his uh, end of his career. He's gonna decide to go with the challenging film uh, for, you know, moviegoers, for film film watchers mm-hmm. to, to sit through these things like Tommaso 
or you know the lighthouse incredibly inaccessible movie for most people um and that's his right i mean he's earned it and he's such a he, when he's in a film you you have to take notice of it like right. a movie like tomaso no one watches tomaso if some other random actors in it because he's in it i put the screener on um so so he's at that point now especially with you know the the cinephile world film twitter world where he's in the film the film is going to get um, you know, massive elevation in, in watchability because he's in it. And speaking of reliably awesome performers every time they're in a film, you seem to be very high on Catherine Deneuve and her film The Truth uh, from Shoplifters director Hirokazu Kurita. Uh, what do you think about that one? That's one of my favorite films of the year. Oh, it, yeah. it, it's, it, it's my number two right now. It was number one for the longest time. We're going to get to my number one here shortly. It's not out yet. But The Truth is, is an IFC film. And we, we again, we can now talk about how how just listen, IFC has picked up when we were down and we had nothing and, and you know, cinema was was close to dying. IFC is like, here's a film. Here's another. Let's start doing some drive ins. Let's win yes. the box office every weekend. These little things helped continue to, you know, keep the the torch alive for for cinema going forward. So IFC in my estimation, has had by far the best 2020 of any studio, and it will continue because there's one really great film coming soon. Um, but but the truth is is right there in my top three. It's you know what I love about awesome. the truth. It just it feels none of it feels uh, it feels lived in right. And we talked about that with King of uh, Staten Island is that it doesn't feel like things are forced. It doesn't feel like all of a sudden in the middle of movies some crazy you know something happens and changes the entire film it's just is it's it's lived in it feels natural the dialogue is is real everyone in the film is is fantastic and i think really uh Deneuve is the one that you have to watch coming out of that because it's been forever that we've talked about her as a best anything and uh this could be it it's a small film that's the thing it has going against it though is there any buzz for ethan hawk coming out of that i know he plays a supporting role we haven't gotten our hands on it yet and i know he's another guy that's kind of been circling the awards circuit the last couple years mm -hmm. too small the role's too small okay it's yeah it's not uh it's he's there and listen it's same thing that, that we talked about with an actor like an ethan hawk you're gonna get that hey let's watch this movie He's going to bring that the eyes to the project, but in this film, he's he's very much a very it's a smaller supporting role. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I I think that that the only chance that film really has is to move. Well, one more small movie though, because I was affected by this one from Rob Morgan, who's been notoriously underrated, I think, throughout his career. But he's getting work, and he's getting good work. He just put out a movie, uh, Bull, this year, which is about uh, rodeo cowboy. Can't does he have a chance in hell? Any Silverstein project here, or is this another one just so small? I'm so proud of you guys. You watched this film? Yeah, it's on Hulu now, so it, <laughs> it was all about it. A, it's such a tiny film that I didn't think anybody had seen this. Um, I I, uh, I have a little connection to the filmmakers here. So I said, you know, they'd say, check out this bull and this movie. It was out well, how many months ago now? I think it was three months ago. It was very mm -hmm. early in the quarantine. When I watched Bull, I had no idea that Rob wasn't an actual rodeo cowboy. Right? right. I didn't. I didn't even know he was the, you know, rodeo clown, whatever you call those guys, you know, the clown, but he's not dressed like a clown, you know, go out there to distract the bull. He's doing these stunts. 
And I'm like, this is a real, I thought it was almost like a documentary, you know, like kind of like the writer, a street casting. Mm -hmm. Here's the guy and he's, that's what he does for a living. That's how great he is in this film that you believe that he's actually, that's his life. And that's what he does regularly versus he came in an actor and did some of the, you know, jumped out there in the rodeo ring and did insane stuff um, for the camera. Yeah, he is, and the, and the girl in that film is uh, what I Excellent. think is her first role. Yes, that's a talk about a tiny film. Again, a lot of these are this year, in in hopefully this is the year that we can get some of these really small films to get some attention. But she's great. He is even better, and that's a film that I highly recommend. That really, a, a very few people have seen. I'm glad to hear that it's on Hulu, though. So we got a, a nice smattering of contenders and pretenders there. Let's pivot and talk about some of the horror movies uh, that you are very high on on awardsace.com. Uh, and one of, uh, actually two of them, I'm incredibly jealous that, that you've gotten your hands on and I haven't yet. And I will let my jealousy be known as I ask you these questions. Uh, Promising Young Woman is, I don't think I've been as hyped up and anticipatory for any film in quite some time. You've seen it. How good is it? How good is Carrie Mulligan? What did you think of the film in general? I'm gritting my teeth when you say that. You know that face, like, oh, you know, I just, I, I'm, I don't want to have to tell you what I'm gonna tell. Oh you. no! <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna be the detracting voice on Promising Young Woman, and it's, it's not. I wanted to love this film, like I wanted this to be. I'd heard this is the film, and and I saw a screening right before we shut everything down out here. Mm-hmm. They had a screening like the week before, and I was begging. I said, I was just hammering emails to focus. Please let me see this. Please let me see this. So I got in. My expectations were admittedly probably too high, but that's okay. I mean, that was the buds. Right. But the problem with Promising Young Woman, without giving anything away, maybe you've seen the trailer, whatever, but Carrie Mulligan, by the way, yes, she's the best part of the film. It's a very complex film. It's not easy to pull off. And there's another film we're going to talk about soon that is exactly the same. The only difference is, one, they managed to pull it off. This one, they didn't quite. I think the director here is, is it's, I believe her first feature, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. I think, um, you know, she's, she's, it's, I just think that in this kind of film, this screenplay, it's, it's incredibly challenging to pull this off and it doesn't quite get it done. I see the movie it wants to be right. You've all seen those movies like, Oh, this is what it wants to do and what it's trying to do. And it doesn't get there. Um, that's the problem with Promising Young Woman. So I would say of the movies we're going to talk about, this is the lowest of the three. Oh, so, my heart. That hurts. Well, that hurts to hear. I know. That's why I was gritting my teeth. Like, <laughs> people, but hey, I, you, I, I, mileage will vary. When I tell people I didn't like it, other people, oh, it was amazing. I, I think really at the end of the day, you know where I grade films the highest? I grade films the highest on direction. Okay, so the films that I love the most and I have graded the highest are the best directed films. And the film we're going to talk about next, I believe, is you talk about a debut. You talk about you talk about a film that is put together. Um, What film are we talking about? Yeah, it's Saint Maud because, and and you're absolutely right. A twenty four, they have been shepherding and uh, patroning so many auteurs lately. You have Rose Glass here, so yeah, the genre can be saved. What do you think of Saint Maud? 
Number one film of the year for me. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's, it, it is, when you talk about a director who is confident in, in her vision, his or her vision and what they're able to bring to the screen with what the screenplay that they had and delivering it to perfection. You talk about calibration, right? When you see a film that's assembled perfectly and the performances are all there and everything is executed just to the highest level, that is St. Maud, which which I didn't expect given a first feature, given it's A24. Is this going to be a weird A24 movie? Is going to be one of these I can't wrap my arms around? Um, but it is, uh, it, it's got its auteur moments to it, no question. That's, it's not going to be for everybody, but it's much more accessible than a lot of A24 pro- product. It is a quasi-horror film. I'm not going to say it's a pure horror film. I'd say psychological thriller slash horror. Uh, but the, but sh- the girl, Clark, she is she is a best actress contender, as is everybody. Oh, wow. it, Rose Glass, best director. Uh, is it going to get – is it a best picture? I have it listed on Ace as a best picture. But but ultimately, probably, you know, that's a long shot. But is it worthy? No question about it. Well, I got to say, my ex- I mean, I, I had kind of middling expectations for that, but going on awards ace and seeing that you put your little diamond next to it in the best picture category, saying that you specifically put it in the best picture contendership right now, I, that's probably the biggest surprise for me in just perusing awardsace.com in the last couple of days. I was like, wow, Eric's really, really high on that movie. I did not expect it. Well, at, listen, when I started ace, uh, it's not just about tracking the films that we expect to be in the Oscar conversation. It's about, it's about recommending films that we think I think should be in the conversation and, and conversely should not be, you know, if you check a lot of sites, they're going to have the invisible man listed under best picture. I would no no way. There's no chance I'm ever going to listen because it's not. Now, if it ends up getting there, is it a possible contender? I mean, Okay, I could argue that it is and it could be on there, but I just don't after watching a film. One of the things you have to be able to do when you do awards forecasting or you do uh, you know, any kind of thing like this where you're trying to slot stuff, you have to realize the viability of the product. Is this film awards viable? And, and I don't see that with The Invisible Man. I do see it with um, St. Maud. It's not, you know, incredibly viable. Like the Five Bloods is much more awards viable than St. Maud. But that said, uh, we need to go ahead and elevate that film so that people consider it as such, because that's ultimately what we're trying to do is to, to get these small films the recognition they deserve. Not unwarranted. It has to be warranted. But movies like Bull, movies like St. Maud, movies like rent a pal which we'll discuss in a moment these are films that need that extra push to be seen and be discussed and to be recognized yeah and uh william bibiani came on our show uh during the oscar season last year when we had you on as well and he said that's part of the job of film criticism is you know you mm-hmm. have the the responsibility and the burden of trying to carry recognition to people that may not get these films out there otherwise so it's it's your job to take them seriously and uh you obviously are cut from the same cloth there and you mentioned the next film we're going to talk about it's got diamonds it's your personal pick all over awardsace.com and it's a, an incredibly small film you were tweeting about it the other day and it drove me mad because you were teasing everyone about it and i needed to know what it was <laughs> rent a pal you mentioned it what's so great about rent a pal 
<laughs> you direct messaged me. What are you talking <laughs> I about? Was, I, was, I was furious at the, about that tease. I needed to know. That was the, that was a good tweet. What I said is, I've just watched a film I can't discuss for a while. <laughs> you know, that is, that is the next – this guy has, a, has an opportunity to be the next great director. Um, and, and I sat down, I was, I was with Chris Gore and Chris, you know, he's one of my buddies. He runs film threat. And he said, you've got to see this rent a pal movie. He saw it really early cause he was doing some stuff with the director. And I said, okay, rent a pal. I didn't want to watch the trailer. I don't want to see anything. I just want to watch this movie. And, um, it, it's another directional masterpiece. This thing is really, truly, and I don't use masterpiece often. The way that he pulls this film together, Promising Young Woman, a film that that was very difficult to make, get across the finish line with all the things they're trying to juggle. Rena Powell is similar. It's, it shouldn't work. It's a movie that should not work based on the premise. And I'm not going to even get into too much of it because I don't want, it's one of those I want you to see without knowing anything about it. Mm-hmm. But, but, John Stevenson, the director, first time, he's a cinematographer. He's done some small horror films. This is his first feature. From cinematography to score, overall assembly, direction, all these things that he was able to do with his film and performances. Um, the lead, Brian Focus, I want to say, young character actor. You probably haven't seen him in anything. Will Wheaton is in it, which we haven't, he hasn't seen him forever. Right. Yeah, he's supporting. This is a tiny film from IFC Midnight. It is a horror film, psychological horror. It's got some Joker uh, feel to it. It's it's just, man, it blew me away. What they were able to do with this film, this tiny film, and the look of it and the overall um, just finish of it was so impressive for a first-time director. Wow. So I, I'm thrilled you brought so much fire, and yeah. we had uh, we had so much of a first segment there with the films of the first half of the year. So that that's fitting of a mid-year Oscars report, even without the elephant in every room, this pandemic. Uh, for the next kind of segment, we had some burning questions that are just literally, you know, driving us wild. We've been covering nothing else, essentially. And one of those big maneuvers from the industry is that Mulan is going to be released on Disney Plus for $30 premium video on demand. The simple question is, do you think, do you expect this to work for Disney and Mulan? I don't know if Mulan is, I had concerns about Mulan at the box office, you know, when it was going to come out way back when. Uh, mm-hmm. It just didn't feel like the buzz was there. You can feel it with films. You just, it's just, you just get that feeling. This film is going to get over. It's going to be a, a big winner when you obviously when you see it, you know that it's something else that you can push it up even further. But you, I'd never got the feeling with Mulan. It didn't feel like people really wanted a live action Mulan. Then I talked to some people who saw, you know, the first screening of it, and the reviews were just, it's, it's an okay film. And mm-hmm. I think that Disney knows that. And if anything, they're just going to try to get it out there and get some cash. Um, do I think it'll be a huge hit for them? I don't. But uh, it's a, you know, $30 is less than it would cost for a family of four to go to the movie theater, right? right? But uh, for some people, that's like, that's crazy. You know, VOD, I don't pay like, you know, seven ninety nine mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm not paying 30 So I think that it's going to be challenging for that film. Uh, I think it might be the smartest call I didn't see it doing tremendous box office if it were you know theatrical so uh you know i think they're just making the best play they can but i just don't see it being some runaway hit and again the reviews i've heard early i've not seen the film yet they they aren't they aren't strong enough to push it to that next level 
Well, going from one end of the spectrum to the other in, in Milan, which, which may have trouble finding its footing to what is, I, I guess you can make the argument, honestly, the most anticipated film of all time, considering the pandemic and the state <laughs> of film in Tenet. Uh, obviously, we got to ask you about Christopher Nolan's Tenet. I know you've seen some reviews. I don't know if, if you've gotten around to seeing it yourself, but just what are your expectations for it going in? What have you heard being over there in La La Land? What I mean, are we all just way too high on this already, or what's going on with Tenet? Okay, you know how hurt you were when I told you Promising Young Woman wasn't? Remember <laughs> yes. that? Remember yes, that it's a fresh wound, yes. Okay, that's the level of pain I have in the inability to watch Tenet. Yeah, I have <laughs> Every day, every moment. In fact, as I'm talking to you now, I'm refreshing my inbox. Where is the Warner Brothers invite? Where is the nothing? Nothing. They 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 did kind of hints that they're going to do something, but they there's still nothing. And the film is now you know what two weeks away as mm-hmm. as we record this, and overseas it's next Wednesday, and so we're we're there. Uh, this is this is an event film. We have not had an event film in five six months. This is the kind of thing that could save cinema. We're talking Christopher Nolan, you know, the return, the hype. Obviously, we've been discussing this film nonstop for the past five months, and this will benefit Tenet. I think Tenet is going to shock people at how well it does at the box office. I, I, people are ready to go back. Yeah. The, the average moviegoer is ready to return to a multiplex. I know that maybe not everybody who's listening right now, but I'm telling you, the average person who is not a member of film Twitter, who is not probably even on Twitter, they are ready to get back into what they remembered life being, you know, early in the year and in, in, in obviously in years past They're So they're going to go to the movie theater. And I think that it's going to do really strong numbers because they're going to own every screen. When mm-hmm. it opens at, at AMC, it's going to be on every screen, you know, every but one maybe. And they'll be mm-hmm. able to they'll be able to socially distance and still get the same kind of numbers they would if they hadn't because they'll have more screens. So I think the tenant's going to be a huge success. I really do. I just want to see the film. That's all I want. I just <laughs> of all the things, I don't care about anything else. I just want to watch Tenant after discussing it ad nauseum. Being five minutes down the street from Warner Brothers, right. I'm like, if they if they sent an invite right now, I would run. Well, I'd probably jump on my bike it's a little fast so I could drive, <laughs> but I'm going to go on my bike. I'm going to wave to the security guard as I roll through, and I'm going to sit down somewhere outside, inside, I don't care, and watch Tenet. But it has not happened. It's not happening, and I've, I've done everything I can, Warner Brothers. I hope well, they're it's... listening at somehow, some way. I hope they're listening to ease you of your pain here. If they don't know by now following my Twitter feed that I want to see this film, I don't know what I'm like, you know, like, are you getting paid by Warner Brothers to talk about Tenet? No. But here's the funny part. We, you know, bringing it back to what we talked about before about being a, a film critic uh, who who calls it as they see it? If I see Tenant and it's not good, you know damn well I'll say that. Right. That's the thing is right. after all this hype, I remember being super hyped for Birds of Prey and saying I can't wait to see this is going to be amazing, and then going oh Birds mm-hmm. of Prey, I'd rather <laughs> see anything again than that. So you you know that's the thing is like my expectations are super high, but if the film does not meet or exceed those, then I'm going to be disappointed, which is which is kind of a dangerous place to be. But that's everybody's expectation with Christopher Nolan, right? Well. 
still you're you're in the industry's corner because you're hyping this film up like crazy Mm -hmm. and you're if you're hyping up our audience half as much as you're hyping up mike and i uh it's going to do exactly what you say it will but i guess we we can scale back and move along the calendar and maybe this is a more measured discussion because we have the lineups for the fall film festivals and typically you know we get most of the oscar nominees premiering at these festivals i would say and this year, we're looking at the slate, and yes, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, maybe she's ready for a breakout. You got uh, you got a former uh, Oscar-winning actress in the lead role there. You got Frances Lee, Lee's Ammonite. I've, I've had my things about that premise, but we'll, I'll move on <laughs> quick. But anyway, w- these have been hyped films as contenders from Cannes and that season till now. I'm wondering... If you're looking at these lineups and you're looking at these fall film festivals, are you seeing their impact just completely diminish? Or do you think maybe a Sundance saves the day for all film festivals and that has, that replaces the impact of the fall film festivals? Or do you think maybe these film festivals are going to prop up some people that should, you know, deserve a seat at the table like we've been discussing. Temporarily prop up, I, I think, is the best case scenario. I don't think it's going to last. It's not, it's, you know, it's the marathon, not the sprint. And yeah. I think that that it could prop it up. But let's face it, the reason these festivals, the Tellurides, the Venice, the, the Toronto, the reason these are big film festivals is because they're just months away from the end of the, you know, eligibility window. Mm. So now you're, you know, add on another two months to that. So... So you you space it to the point where the film that debuts in Toronto now it's you know five months or four and a half whatever it's a lot further than it typically is so that's why I think studios said we're not going to put our stuff in Toronto and Telluride and Venice as much because it's uh, it's too far out we're going to control it this year so I think it's I think it's a one year thing I think these film festivals especially Toronto it will not have nearly the impact it's had in the past but come next year assuming everything returns to normal everything goes back to normal and then it takes its you know precedent as being one of the biggest film festivals when it comes to the oscars well with the studio that maybe is benefiting most in this pandemic i think there's an easy case we make that it's got to be netflix just based on how they do business in general they've made the case to completely eschew festivals altogether this year uh, and they're just releasing their films directly on their service fincher's mank for example is a big oscars hopeful it's getting an october release Obviously, that was a big deal and in the sweet spot when the Oscars were still in the Oscars. But since you, like you said, the Oscars have moved and the eligibility window now is at the end of February. You were on here last uh, this past Oscar season with us. You made the case that, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood came out too early. That's why its momentum fell off a cliff and that's why it didn't hit the finish line. Is Netflix in danger with something like Mank of suffering the same fate because of the new Oscars window now? Could be. It's going to be such a strange Oscars. Everything we discuss about this year's Oscars is is different, right? It's not the same Oscars that we've discussed over the past forever. So as such, anything could could really be a new concept. But I, I think that at this point, you're looking at Mank, Fincher, Netflix, financial backing with FYC campaigns, that they are able to push it through it depends on how good it is again just like nolan this is fincher so you're assuming that this is going to be great Mm -hmm. at worst so as such that you're gonna you're gonna be able to see the netflix push they have so many things and netflix has so many films that they have to push yeah right i'm thinking of ending things there's um, uh, ma rainey 
you go yep. on and on and on. They have a ton of films that they have to spread out the FYC love with. But I would suggest that Mank is right there, along with The Trial of the Chicago 7. Those would be my top two Netflix awards films, I would think. But cool. I mean, things could change. But uh, right now, those would be the two I would guess would be their best plays for winning Best Picture. But obviously, we haven't seen any of this stuff yet. And both of them have that October release, which is, yeah, like you said, it's strange. It's different. It's a different strategy, I guess. Uh, I guess we can keep talking about the ca- calendar for a minute. And to, to give you our story a little bit, I think... I wasn't as worried when the spring blockbusters moved and the summer blockbusters moved. I got that. I mean, the elephant in the room here is the pandemic, and I understood why they were doing this. Now I'm starting to worry a little bit, though, because some of these, you know, supposed contenders that we've been talking about for a while, like Amblin's Tom McCarthy, Matt Damon film Stillwater, the Taylor Sheridan, probably a fringe contender, Angelina Jolie, cop film, Those Who Wish uh, Me Dead, but perhaps most painful to cinephiles, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, that is now off the calendar. I'm wondering if you've heard anything about these movies coming maybe back on the calendar in the winter, closer to Oscar season, or I'm wondering if you sense that like someone like Searchlight, owned by Disney, if Mulan works out for them on PVOD, maybe we get a PVOD release on some of them. Maybe if theaters are not doing the business you hope, Universal releases news of the world uh, that way. I'm just wondering if you sense PVOD, the watch-at-home option, as a safety net. What do you think of that calendar shift? French Dispatch is is a film that I believe Disney slash Searchlight puts back on the calendar ahead of eligibility window at closing. I think it shows up sometime in, in January is my guess. It could be December. I assume the film's ready. You know, it was supposed to be ready months ago, so... I would assume it's it's ready to go. They're just probably sitting around in meetings deciding what's the best release date for this. And let's see how theatrical goes. A, a lot of these studios, every studio is now going to watch what happens with Tenet, um, you know, Unhinged, obviously a tiny movie. Uh, what else is coming out? Bill and Ted's a little bit on theatrical, but mostly VOD. Um, those films that are going to open this thing back up, they're going to look at Tenet and see how do – how does the average movie go respond to theatrical reappearing? Are they going to, you know, magically show up in the seats? If they're not, then we have to adjust everything. If they are, then let's go ahead and put a date on the French dispatch. That's really where we're at is we're going to know a lot more in a month than we are today. But isn't that a little unfair? I mean, there's no way to match the hype and anticipation of Tenet. Tenet's its own animal. I, I mean, isn't it a little unfair for, for the French Dispatch to be held up to Tenet's standards and say, well, if Tenet did it, then yes. the French Dispatch can? Well, well, I think it just shows, you know, Canary in the Coal Mine is, is even though no one would argue that Tenet is a unique film that is an event film, and the French Dispatch is not an event film for the average moviegoer, that they're, they're not. But still, it's going to be, it's, it's the film, Tenet's the film that's going to save cinema or not, at least temporarily. And if it over-indexes like I expect, I expect seats to be largely full and a lot more people showing up to see Tenet than, than some would expect, then you're going to see these studios go, okay, fine, let's go ahead and go, let's dip back into theatrical because that's where they want to go. That's what we've done forever. So let's go back to the old way that we've done this. Uh, conversely, if it doesn't do the numbers, I don't expect this, but if it doesn't perform as well, 
then everything's going to change. So, yes, they're not comparable films, Tenet and The French Dispatch, but it's still about will moviegoers go back to movie theaters? And Tenet will, will prove that even if it's not necessarily, um, you know, the best example. So to shout out one of my favorite films, follow the money, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to follow the yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if, if you're going to see moviegoers come back, then all these these uh, studios are going to go, yes, let's go. Here comes this. They're redating this, this, this. And we could end up getting stuff in weeks. Like all of a sudden they go, oh, by the way, this is going to be theatrical in two weeks because – you know, theaters are like, I don't care. We'll make it work. I mean, theaters want product. They right. want films. They're, they're going to work with whatever the studios want to do. So all these studios that are sitting on stuff and deciding what they're going to do, it's going to be a, a rush to get them back in as soon as they see if people are going to come back. Yeah, that's a really good point. Not, not something I thought of, especially with the 2021 calendar being so booked up and backed up right now. It's a, it's a really good. I mean, that's a reason to be hopeful, if nothing else. And I guess this year could provide other reasons of hope and other silver linings too. And you've touched on a wide genre of films today already. I mean, you've name dropped Chris Gore, who's a huge patron of, of independent cinema. And we know we love that. Uh, we know, and you've said how much you love horror films as well. So if, if Eric Weber for Ward's ACE is the ruler of all things cinema in this year of mm -hmm. 2020, if it was the Academy of Awards Ace only, what type of film or is there a certain type of film or genre or niche of film? What do you want to see flourish in this type of year? What do you think this provides the best opportunity for? This is the opportunity for smaller films. This is the year that we could possibly get some of these uh, projects that don't normally get the oxygen in the awards window that they typically should. This could be the year that we see that. I hope that's every year. You know, when I mm. vote, I'm in the Critics' Choice. We vote for Critics' Choice, uh, you know, obviously the Critics' Choice Awards. Every time I vote, I vote for obviously the best films for me. But th typically they include a number of, you know, less expected uh, discussions about films and, and performances that, that really need more attention. And not, I'm not just doing that to do it. You're doing it because it's deserving. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about Bill Burr earlier in supporting for King of Staten Island. If I were to put him in my top three um, supporting actor, it's not he's deserving. You know, they, there's right. not a question about that. So so it's still at the end of the day, whatever the film is, whether it's small, large, big studio, tiny distributor, indie, you, you still have to have it be of value, uh, you know, as far as it, it being critically a, a, a very strong film for it to be put up. But I would hope across the board, no matter what year it is, that you're looking to advance smaller projects. Not not because you want to advance smaller projects, but because they are worthy, right? It's, it's two different mm -hmm. things. Yes, you want to do that, but you also have to have it be worthy. Right. I think that's another thing we lose in criticism sometimes. Uh, a, a number of critics, I'm not going to call anybody out, but they end up pushing a film because of a, uh, if I want to use the word agenda, whatever it is, they're pushing the film for something other than the film being great other than it being something that really deserves it they're pushing it for other reasons that's what i don't ever want to do i want to i want to pick something that is worthy and then give it give it a little bit of life give it a little extra push that's what your aim is well speaking of going out on a limb for great films i think mike and i we have always loved pixar and what they've been able to accomplish and i, I going back through my lists over the years i've had a pixar film at number one or two uh, in, in, in many a year. 
This year, I've never, I mean, I've never seen it harder for film pundits and awards pundits than it is this year. I mean, we, we get that, but I've never seen, uh, as well, I've never seen an animated feature get as much best picture buzz and attention as Pixar's soul. So I guess on the one hand, we have an animated feature category that's not all that affected as, as, as the other categories because the blockbusters were able to release like Trolls World Tour. Netflix is a major contender over the moon and the Willoughby's and those still still are coming out. That's a loaded category, which is just as strong as it might have been, maybe with a few omissions. But are you hearing similar buzz for Pixar's soul? Do you think that's just a possibility? Or do you actually think it's an inevitability this year in a more diluted field? Pixar is always going to be at the top of the animated food chain when you talk about awards films. There, it's just going to be right there. Right. It's going to be the one that is uh, that is the, typically in any given year you're going to be talking about it being the number one seed, as it were. <laughs> and, and and typically it comes through. It, I think Soul looks like that film. I don't think it's onward, right? That was too early in the season. I think the reviews are, are mixed on that. Good film, not a great film. And I think Soul, everyone's looking at as the one. But don't forget, Netflix is right there, as you mentioned. And Netflix has, over the past few years, come up and said, hey, you know what, Pixar, Disney, you're not going to own this category right. every year. We're, we're going to come and we're going to make it difficult for you by you know coming up with some of these projects that that – you know, have have the viability to take take you down, and sure. and I think that could be the case this year. Um, you just never know. But but if I were to rank them, you know, you it's hard to pick anything but Soul at number one. Well, since you're already ranking films, I guess that where we can start uh, wrapping up here. And I mean, we're going to talk about some hunches and, and put a gun to your head here, figuratively. But the reason we do that is twofold: <laughs> one, we like hearing your opinions, and two, you sincerely make our job in prepping these interviews and prepping for a show anytime you're on or talking to you incredibly easy because of how insightful and how prepared you always come. So we love having you on, and we we do love uh, hearing your opinions on such matters. So. Sorry, not sorry for doing this and putting you on the spot here. <laughs> but let's talk about, uh, I guess, the first of three big categories we can ask for your biggest hunch with, and that's lead actor. Obviously, a ton of possibilities. There's a possibility of a father-son duel between John David Washington and Denzel Washington. There's Delroy Lindo we've talked about. Anthony Hopkins is on there. Tom Hanks, News of the World. There's a lot of big movies still on the calendar to come out. If you had to pick a hunch or if you had to rank maybe one, two, three right now, guessing purely speculatively or what you've seen already where would you put your money if you had to bet on best actor it's hard to pick against any as we've seen over the past few years supporting last year it's hard to pick against big names right tom hanks mm -hmm. denzel washington it's almost impossible you know those guys are going to get in if, if they're in a movie and it's a solid film they're going to likely get very high consideration for those slots you know one thing that i, I want to say is even though we can pick this and, and do this and that one of the missions that i have with awards ace is and if you've noticed if you go to the pages each one of the pages for each one of the categories i don't list the top five right okay i don't list the top 10 because i think that's a disservice to everybody who is in a film and is trying to get oxygen, as we've discussed, in this awards race, we should not be eliminating people already or saying these are our five. We can talk about that, but that's not what I want to do. I want to talk about 
the smaller performances, the movies like St. Maud. Let's discuss that as an awards film right now, rather than, okay, I know it's probably not going to be, the chances are extremely small that it's going to end up being a best picture. I mean, we're talking minuscule. But that said, I don't want to pretend today in August um, that, that it can't be, because then we start thinking a certain way and, and that's, a, again, a disservice to a lot of these people that we're trying to change a mindset that it doesn't have to be Tom Hanks every year, even if he's worthy. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Tom Hanks every year. It can be someone else like Rob Morgan from Bull. I mean, chances, again, minuscule, not maybe zero chance, but we can discuss it as such. So that's that's why I love when I when I really start to craft awards ace and, and really get down to this stuff. I try to avoid all that stacking people now to to give everyone a shot so that if you were a voter and you come to awards ace, which, by the way, the hits, I'll tell you guys, since we last talked and even, you know, when it first started uh, a little less than two years ago now. Awards Ace is now in the top five. If you put in Oscars 2021, it's right there. It's in the top five, six, seven, Excellent. six on, on Google. It's showing up in the predictions right in the top five. It's So it's getting tremendous traction. And I think it's, it's yeah, listen, great for me. But the point of it is, is I'm happy for if someone goes to the site like you guys and you look at a film like Renapal. And you, I'm gonna watch Renapal. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what I want out of it. I because that to me means more than anything else. Because now you're watching something that you wouldn't have watched before, and that's why I got into film criticism in the first place. Um, is to drive eyes to films that you normally wouldn't even consider. Well, on that note, I guess I'm going to pitch the best actress or the lead actress category to you a little differently because there are a lot of fun <laughs> names. Yeah, I mean, I can read a room here, but there, there are a lot of fun names because, like, Jesse Buckley in Beast, I mean, she has been awesome in, in everything she's done. Andra Day in the U.S. versus Billie Holiday, I see that as a film on the rise. You have Rashida Jones from On the Rocks that's going to be an Apple film. Will Diane Lane finally get involved here? Rooney Mara's been there before, but again I, I i just love her career thus far we mentioned elizabeth moss who who's a name that you want to see that that you have a hunch could get more buzz or get more momentum than uh than we would figure right now just calling it a you know from a small film you know where i'm going i'm going with my number one film of the year and, there you go. and i i hope i'm saying her name right because i have not heard the pronunciation pronunciation yet she's irish it's morphid clark I don't know how you say I, – I, if I'm not saying her name, the first name correctly, I, I'll do my research before we get fully into this. But she is – that is a very difficult role, what she did. And, and again, what she accomplishes and the way that she pulls that film together in addition to Rose Glass directing it, uh, I, that's my number one. If, if we can get her some oxygen in the Best Actress race and get that going, deservedly so – that would be my number one pick. So I give you all the Excellent. credit for making our lives easy, and then you audible with us and make it more difficult. So we have to change our <laughs> last three questions here. No, I'm just kidding. And, and, and honestly, no, it's, it's, all, it's all good. I, I, I love to, I, I love talking about, but 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 uh, you know, I, I again, I just really, I just feel we need to just do just, and you guys know because you're the same way. And, and I know Chris is Chris. We talk about it all the time. I mean, he talks about films. I go, what are you what are you discussing? You know, when he's on film threat, he's, he does the smallest films that aren't even by distributors. Right. They're just like, right. here's a guy that made a film. But in those films, will never have a shot. Right. But but a, a film like like 
like Saint Maud, that that's a film that has some possibilities. But yeah, no, do what I we can still we can still talk about the big big. No, no, no. I, I was I, I was joking. I'm I'm totally giving you all the credit. And I'm I'm dead seriously. Like it, it really it heartens Mike and I when we hear when we have critics like yourself and, and people with stature like yourself come on and and take the job of criticism so seriously to be more than just saying, well, I was right when the Oscars came. And seriously, I mean, hearing how oh, passionate yeah. in your voice and that's that really is a big deal to to, to Mike and I and I'm sure all the readers and there's a reason that traffic to awards ace has been up and that's totally a credit to you and the work that you put in uh, like that Mike ironically Eric Weber's make the parasites possible so you're you're again right so I should hate him is what you're saying which is not I'm kidding <laughs> you, know, you, know, but you, know, you know what's funny I, I know this okay I, I actually thought about that is when I you know looked at the show prep and I was thinking about back to parasite when I saw it and and, you know, listen, does Parasite win Best Picture if I don't ever talk about it? Oh, okay, yeah. But the point of it is is that maybe, maybe somebody throughout all those times I went to the awards parties. And listen, we went through the calendar last night. Uh, I was out with drinks with uh, with Chris. And, and we were going through all the different awards parties we went to because I went back on my Google calendar. And it was it was crazy. I mean, it's like 50 plus parties. All the different people that I spoke to about different films. And of course, when they're talking about theirs, what do you think I'm talking about? Say, oh, by the way, they always ask, what are your favorite? And I'm like, Parasite. And this Mm. is early. This is like September. Parasite. Parasite. You start spreading that around. And these are people who vote and things like that's that's the beauty of it is that you have the ear of these people who do make a difference. And and you're, again, pushing something you love and you believe in and you're passionate about. Then, then hopefully we are doing that. We're moving the needle, moving the needle, even if just a little bit. That's that's awesome. Well, I guess to, to in in terms of moving the needle, in terms of expectations, and talking about best picture, instead of asking you what do you think wins, you, we're, you're very high on Saint Maud. You're very high on Rent a Pal. Obviously, everyone thinks Tenant is going to do these amazing things. I guess other than those you've talked about, in terms of the final question here for us, when it comes to best picture. Maybe not what you hope to see make the best picture field, but in terms of just purely expectations and what you can come mm-hmm. to expect from the names that are coming up, what would you be most surprised to see fall short of being a contender, if not a full-fledged nominee, when it comes to best picture at the end of the day, in terms of films still yet to come? Well, okay, in terms of films we've had, and I think it's fair to bring this one in because it's the first film we talked about, Defy Bloods. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If that completely falls apart, as I expect it to, where others people, th- you know, other think, hey, this is the best picture. This is a, it's Spike Lee. All these things. Well, that's nice, but it's not a good film. Um, it's not. It's not unwatchable. It's not a horrible film. It's just not a, an awards caliber film. So if we talk about that, then that's the film that I don't think gets there. Um, do I think that's a surprise? No. To some, it would be, but mm-hmm. not to me. Um, you know, going forward for the ones coming up, Dune could be an interesting one. Um, <laughs> it's it, it listen the one thing that I'll, I'll say about Villeneuve that that is it's a blessing and a curse his films don't typically have a whole lot of what's the word life to them does that they, they're yeah. missing right like Blade Runner 2049 god is it beautiful you know the, right. the, the cinematography the, the assembly everything is just on point until you get to the the feeling 
right? Movies have to make you feel emotion. And if you do not feel emotion on the ride, then you are missing a key component of what drives us to movie theaters. And one of the reasons Parasite, I know this is going to hurt for at least one person on the, on the call here. When you come to Parasite, you're talking about emotion, right? The roller coaster of this is a goofy comedy to what the hell just happened. And, and that emotional ride is what typically drives us to vote for the films that we love the most. Um, so I have a little bit of a concern with Dune having the emotional pull on an average awards watcher versus a cinephile. Uh, this was awesome, Eric. Uh, you hung with our best, toughest questions. Mike even tried to trick you with the last one. And uh... <laughs> Well, no, I mean, look, quite frankly, there's a reason he's one of our favorite guests, and there's a reason we're, we'd ask him on as much as we can. And we can't thank you enough for coming on once again, Eric. And uh, you will be back, and that's not a request. That's a demand, and I'm telling you, you'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun, and I, I really want to still talk about these smaller, and, and there are going to be plenty more of these films as we continue along this award season that has been extended. Uh, and, and the hope is that we can still get the smaller films in, especially this year where things are not normal. And right, right. I hope you guys get to see St. Maud soon because it is going to be worth the wait. Amen. If, if nothing else, yeah, you've totally hyped up expectations on a lot of films, big and small. And uh, your lips to God's ears as far as what the role of a film critic is. And keep fighting the good fight out there. And sincerely, man, uh, you are one of our favorites. We cannot thank you enough for giving us part of your day today. You got it, guys. Anytime. Look forward to talking to you next time. All right. We'll talk awesome. soon. Thanks, boys. One of the best, and we mean every word we say when he says he's one of our favorite guests, and uh, we love having him on every time. Eric Weber, awardsace.com. Michael, tell the good people the words of wisdom, which is where you can find all of Eric's work online. Yeah, you can follow him at Eric Weber. That's E-R-I-C-K-W-E-B-E-R, and at Awards Ace. Those are his two handles on Twitter. He's Eric Weber on Instagram and Facebook. You said it, Mike. AwardsAce.com should become uh, one of your go-tos. It's one of ours. And uh, just follow all of the work he does because he's an insider. He's in the know. And he's also got that film critic mentality, which I know you and I love because we're out on a a lot of limbs on this show and it's it's really cool to look up to somebody else who's been you know made a career of doing the same yeah I, I, again I, I mean i know we we gushed kind of to him but i sincerely mean it. it's it's nice to hear him William Bibiani, I mean, people that take the criticism Chris Gore, world, yeah. Chris Gore as well, absolutely. People that, that know their place in the uh, film criticism and, and use it for as a force of good and to get more eyes on more products, uh, it, it really does keep us going and it gives us motivation and hope, quite frankly, and we cannot thank Eric enough for, for spending part of his day with us. Do go follow him on all his socials and go seek out his work on Awards Ace. Uh, hey, if you wouldn't mind following us on the same social medias, that would be pretty cool. If you have any comments mm -hmm questions concerns as always we want to hear from you about thoughts regarding this episode everything eric touched on and anything else we do in the mmo empire you can leave us those we are mike mike and oscar on facebook mike mike and oscar on instagram at mm and oscar on the twitter machine mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts and if you would be so kind if you're listening to us on the apple podcast app those five star reviews really do mean quite a lot in the long run if you want to leave us a commented review any kind of interaction we get on those really really truly does help us out as well 
Uh, Mike, you said the words of wisdom. Give a little tease as to what's coming next from MMO. Yeah, we got Daniel Craig Part 2 of the James Bond character study, and I think that's actually, what, seven or eight in the, in, the, in the study at this point. We're doing it monthly. Quantum of Solace is up next. And, Mike, I'm intrigued by this episode because I didn't like Quantum of Solace at the time. I'm very intrigued to revisit this one and, and see if it actually is something I like even more the second time or I hate because you, you, we've seen that happen before where we rewatch a movie that we probably shouldn't have rewatched and left alone and then we hate it. So We said we were going to put a gun to Eric's head. I, If you put a gun <laughs> to my head, I couldn't tell you a thing about quantum of solace i do not remember it at all so i'm with i don't know if i disliked it i just plain don't remember it even though i know i've seen it so yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens kind of forgettable except for olga kurienko by yes. the way, just for <laughs> obvious reasons. Anyway, guys, we have plans to review Mulan, plans to review Tenant when and if and hopefully soon. Uh, we got plans to review New Mutants, as we've been talking about with uh, Swell Entertainment at some point. There's a bunch of Netflix films on the slate, and we're making moves trying to get people in to, to review those as well so stay tuned we're gonna get back to reviewing movies it's exciting (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, we're gonna actually make this an award season come hell or high water so guys when reality sucks you can come watch these movies and they will be movies to watch now finally with us fingers crossed god's willing knock on wood all those rhetorical hyperbole that hopefully means that the movie industry is coming back at some point we are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness our thanks to eric weber once more guys we will see you very soon see ya